As we get started today, brand new series, I'm going to make some statements. In fact, I'm going to tell you on the front end, I'm probably not going to smile a whole lot this morning because this is actually pretty heavy, the stuff that we're going to wade through today. Um, And I just want you to know that going in. But I'm going to start by saying this. There was a bully in my elementary school named Larry Woodkey. Didn't he sound like a bully, right? Larry Woodkey had no neck and he scared me. And one day I got fed up with Larry Woodkey and I told him I was done being pushed around and for once I actually had some courage, courage and I pushed back. And when I pushed the bully back, I crossed the line. And there was no going back. On July the 1st, 1988, I got down on one knee and I asked Laurel Lynette Harder to be my wife. I told her I was planning on being a pastor, which means I was going to spend most of my life broke. That I mean that I had not much to offer her in terms of material possessions. And I held out a ring. And when I held out that ring and asked that question, I crossed the line. And there was no going back. In 1836, William Barrett Travis took a sword, drew a line in the sand, and spoke to the men who were defending the Alamo in Texas and said, if you choose to stay and defend this fort with me, you need to cross the line. And once they crossed it, there was no going back. On June 5th, 1989, an unknown man stood in Tiananmen Square in China and faced down a tank in protest of freedom in that country. He crossed the line. And there was no going back. Several weeks ago, I got frustrated with one of my coworkers. I didn't say anything to them. I just thought a very bad thing in my head. I crossed the line. And there was no going back. This past week, some members of our church family who are doing 12 Steps, a spiritual journey, walked through step nine and made personal amends to people that their life has hurt. That is a tough and gutsy moment when you sit across from somebody and ask for forgiveness without knowing the outcome. All of those brave people crossed the line and there was no going back. At the age of eight, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and then spent the rest of, my, the, rest of the next decade basically telling God where to get off and to leave me alone. I crossed the line. And then thought I crossed back over, only to discover that once you cross that line, there's no going back. For some of us, it's a line of courage. The other, or for others, a line of challenge. For some, it's a line of sin. For others, a line of faith. Some of the lines are positive. Some of the lines are negative. All I know is at some point, you're going to have to cross a line. In the book of Mark chapter 8, Jesus draws a line for everyone in human history when he says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? The line of Jesus is a challenge. It's a challenge to move yourself down the priority scale and to put Jesus first. It's a challenge to make the cross of Jesus yours because Jesus made your cross his. It's a challenge to lose your life so you can find it. It's a challenge to answer that haunting question. What good is it if all of us gain everything that the world has to offer and then when we die, lose our soul? What good is it? This Easter of Christ the King, a line has been drawn literally 
Some of you noticed it when you came in, depending on which door. There is a red scarlet line running right down the center of this worship center. It originates at the bottom of the cross. It goes to the door. On Easter weekend, it's going to run right smack dab down the middle of the commons. And you're going to have to navigate that line and make a decision whether you're going to step over it. I've actually been chuckling to myself, watching people come to a line that they don't even know what it is. And they just like, oh dear, I got to, whoa, whoa. In fact, it's kind of freaking me out because the line runs right underneath of my chair, which means I'm proverbially straddling the line, and that does not work in my world of faith. I'm going to talk about that next week. The question is, what are you going to do with the line? What are you going to do with it? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son drove drove a line in the shape of a cross into the middle of history. On one side of the line was rejection. On the other side was acceptance. On one side of the, the line was death. On the other side, there was life. On one side of the cross was condemnation. On the other side was restoration. On one side of the line that the cross drew was Jesus, and on the other side was you. And in order to save you and me, Jesus crossed the line of pain, suffering, grief, humiliation, and pain so that we in turn could cross the line of faith and salvation. So I'm going to tell you what the line is today. The line is when you move beyond the point of no return to follow Jesus on the journey from death to life. That's what the line is. And at some point, you're going to have to decide if you're going to cross it or not. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. Before Jesus asks you to cross a line of commitment, he's already crossed that particular line. How do I know that? I know that because I can read Isaiah chapter 53. And that's all we're going to talk about today. One chapter from Scripture. You see, in fulfilling his mission to save his people from their sin, Jesus crossed some lines. I just chose eight of them today. And we're going to wrap through them as fast as we can out of Isaiah 53. Number one is this. He crossed the line of humility. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says this, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. It would be a total waste of time for me to try and take human words and try to explain to you how beautiful God is in his perfection. Because there's no words to describe how beautiful God is. So let's do a little example here for a minute. Think about the most beautiful thing that you can think of. Think of a mountain. Think of a sunset. If you're a smart husband, you've already leaned over to your wife and said, sweetheart, I'm thinking about you. If you miss that moment, that's your bad, not mine. All right? So, but all of those things, imagine the most beautiful thing you can think of. And I'm going to tell you something today. It's going to rock your world. It's ugly in comparison to how beautiful God is. Nothing, nothing is that beautiful. And this is how, I mean, it just, it blows me away that Jesus would lay aside that beauty and choose the common hair, whiskers, teeth, eyebrows, skin, that he would choose that. Scripture says Jesus stepped across the line into humanity and was so common that if he walked into a room, there is nothing that would draw your eyes towards him. He'd just be a regular common person, just like all of the rest of us. Think about that. More than personal appearance, Jesus laid aside his majesty and his royalty. And in doing that, he embraced the common and the ordinary. Here's the second line he crossed. He crossed the line of rejection. 
Isaiah 53, 3 says this, he was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus chose to do the exact opposite that most of us spend our lives doing. Because what do we want people, what do we want from people? We want to be accepted. I mean, I've told you about this before. I'm a people pleaser. I mean, I really care about what you think about me. And my big question is, do you like me? I mean, seriously, like, no, seriously. I need to know whether or not you truly like me. Like if we saw each other in the comments, would you hug me and say, I like you. I mean, we're, we're driven by that kind of stuff. Jesus chose the flip side. He said, I'm willing to be rejected. In fact, he came here knowing that most people would reject him. In being rejected, Jesus experienced the same pain and hurt that you and I encounter when we get rejected. We don't like how that feels, do we? Scripture says he was a man of sorrows, a man of pain, acquainted with heartbreak and grief. One translation says that suffering became his dearest friend. Jesus risked being hated so that he could love you. He crossed the line of rejection. Number three, he crossed the line of pain. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. The word excruciating literally means from the cross. There's no deeper way to explain the pain that Jesus endured for us. And it started in the garden when Jesus asked his father, is there any other way to pay for this price? Is there any other way to reconcile man to myself? Is there any other way other than pain and death? And God the father said, no, no. Jesus crossed the line and experienced pain for me. He took up my sin, carried it to the cross you know, and, 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 and we look at that verse, the end of that verse is just haunting for me because some of us look at that and we try to pin the reason for the cross on God the Father. The truth is this, if you need to know why Jesus had to die, you need to look no further than this chair. My sin put him there. Our sin Put him there. You know what humans have been doing for 22,000 years? They've been trying to blame shift the cross to somebody other than us. There's nowhere else to blame shift the cross. Number four, he crossed the line of punishment. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed He crossed the line and took a punishment that I should have been paying. And more than just being able to to heal me physically in that moment, he chose to heal me spiritually, to heal me eternally. If you know the Hebrew language, there is no more severe word than the word crushed in explaining what happened to Jesus. And he took the punishment and the result was peace and healing for us. Number five, he crossed the line of becoming sin. Isaiah 53, verse six, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Scripture says that we all drifted, that we wandered, just like like Russ said. 
We all, to a point, think we can kind of figure this out on our own. We decide we're going to go our way instead of God's way. And Jesus steps in pure and spotless and crosses a line and chooses to become soiled with the grossness of my failures. Joseph DeVoyster is a man that many of you will not recognize. He spent his life touching untouchable people. For most of his life, he, he worked in a leper colony, working with people who were infected with leprosy. He actually moved to the island of Molokai in Hawaii, went to a small village that had been quarantined because of an outbreak of leprosy for 16 years. He, he lived with lepers. He spoke with lepers. He bandaged the wounds of lepers. He would touch bodies that nobody else would dare touch. He would preach to hearts that nobody else had the courage to preach to. In that little village, he organized schools and bands and choirs. He built homes so that people could actually say they had a home while here on earth. He spent a chunk of his life hand-building more than 2,000 coffins so that when people died of leprosy, they would actually be able to be buried with dignity. And over time, because of the heart of this man, Molokai became a place to live rather than a place of die or a place to die. Eventually, he was given a name. The name was Father Damien. Father Damien offered hope. Father Damien didn't keep his distance. In fact, he got close on purpose. And for his closeness, people absolutely loved him. And one day, in one of the memoirs, one of the lepers in the colony said that, that Father Damien stood up and he changed the way he preached. Instead of starting with the normal words, you lepers, he changed the words and he used the word we. We lepers. Because Father Damien had been infected with the very sickness that he'd been trying to heal. Suddenly he wasn't just helping them, he'd become one of them. And from that day forward, he didn't just live on an island with them, he was actually inside of their skin. He had chosen to live as they lived and now he was going to die like they would die. And suddenly they were in it together. And Joseph said that he was inspired by a man named Jesus who was willing to preach from the cross those words, we sinners, we sinners. Suddenly Jesus wasn't just helping us, suddenly he was one of us, he was in our skin, we were in it together. In taking on sin, he became we, we. My prayer is that we will never sing the lyrics to the song that we sing so Commonly here at Christ the King, again, knowing that he became we, because we sing it. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. We can never sing it the same again. Number six, he crossed the line of silence. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The Bible says he crossed the line of silence, and he didn't defend himself. Except under oath when he was asked whether or not he was who he said that he was, and his answer was, you say that I am. He did not defend himself. He remained 
silent. When I hear that in my imagination, when I think that he chose to say nothing, in my brain I think all the things he could have said. I mean, in that moment, he could have said, I brought all of you into this world and I can take you out. He could have said, armies of heaven, ready, aim, all-consuming fire. He could have said, how dare you? You little, pathetic, weak, created thing. I'm your creator. How dare you? He could have just said, we're done. This stops now. He could have said, you lose. But he didn't. He chose to say nothing in his own defense so that one day he could defend me to his father. Wrap your heart around that one, Christ the King. Number seven, he crossed the line of guilt. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The father offered the life of his son and the son willingly and willfully laid down his life. If you read that verse and you're honest, it kind of makes God the father look punitive and cruel, doesn't it? He decided that it was going to happen. How does that happen? Why would the son submit himself? We learned about it in the Trinity series, didn't we? We learned the fact that God the Father and God the Son and the Spirit, they live in perfect unity. They live in perfect community. In order for Jesus to lay his life down, submission didn't look like an arm twisted behind his back. It looked like he was embracing the Father because he made a decision in that moment. He was going to trust the Father. He was going to love the Father because he knew the heart of the Father. And the Father and the Son are together in this. And they're together in the fact that Jesus knew his dad wanted to remove the guilt of sin from all of his children. Here's what's ironic when I think about guilt. Jesus had nothing to feel guilty for. Nothing. He was pure and spotless. He never sinned. He was perfect. And yet he crossed the line of guilt. A couple of years ago, I went to pay my respects at the traveling Vietnam Wall Memorial. I didn't grow up in this country. I became a citizen Four or five years ago on July the 4th, I actually had to take a test to get into this country. I had to go through an interview process. I had to have fingerprints done. I had to, to write testimonials. Some of you had to write testimonials for me. And because of the fact that, that someone opened the door of freedom to this country and welcomed my family and I, I just feel it's my responsibility whenever I have an opportunity and run into somebody who's paid a very high price for that kind of freedom, I just feel it's my duty to say thank you. So I went to the wall, and I watched a man sit and stare there for a long time at one name. In fact, he was, with his finger, he was tracing the name of one of the people on that particular wall. Somebody want to get that? <laughs> I can get it, <laughs> right? He was tracing the name, the outline of the person's name who was etched on the wall. I knew he was a veteran because I could read what was on his hat. 
and he eventually noticed me just watching him. In that moment, he turned to me and he said, this man saved my life and died in the process. This man saved my life and died in the process. Christ the King, Jesus Christ saved my life and died in the process. That red cross to me is personal because the man who died on it saved my life and died in the process. And that would be unbelievably discouraging if, this, if the story stopped there, wouldn't it? Praise God, Easter doesn't stop on Good Friday, amen? You see, the man who died on that cross and saved my life and died in the process, here's the best part about Easter. He didn't stay dead. I love that. He didn't stay dead. In fact, there's one more line to cross. The final line this morning is this line. It's a triumphant line. It's the line of completion. The end of Isaiah says this, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Iniquities is just a fancy word for sin. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. That's just a fancy word for us. Us. And it concludes and says, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for us, the transgressors. Jesus crossed the line of completion. It was a finish line. How do we know it was a finish line? Because in the gar, when he was hanging on the cross, that's what he said, right? He said, it is finished. He didn't say it's in process. He didn't say I'm working on it. He said, it is finished. After laying in a dark tomb for three days, the Bible says that life sprung back inside of his body. The Bible says Jesus had full knowledge of what lines he was going to cross and that he chose to cross them anyway because of his great sacrifice. And now, because of his great sacrifice, he's exchanged a crown of thorns for a crown of glory. He's taken his rightful place back in perfection at the right hand of God the Father. My friends, the message of Easter is this. He paid the price we should have paid. He died the death we should have died. He gave to me what I did not deserve, a second chance at life. And my question to you this Easter, regardless of how long you've been around church before, is this. Have you crossed that line? Have you crossed over? You know, when it comes to lines, where do most of, get, most of us get stuck? I'll tell you where we get stuck. We get stuck somewhere between that fuzzy, warm feeling and good intentions. That's where we get stuck. Is it any wonder that there's a saying that people say, the road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. Have you crossed the line? Two Friday nights from now, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to cross a line. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. You're going to choose between a dinner and a movie on a Friday night or coming here and receiving the Last Supper. Cross the line. Some of you wear a cross around your neck. Is it a piece of jewelry? 
or a statement of whose team you're really on. Cross the line. In case you haven't noticed, this is going to be a high-challenge environment for the next five weeks. We're baptizing the week after Easter to celebrate resurrection, transformed lives. If you've been holding out, cross the line. That person that sits in the cubicle next to you, that you're not sure you want to talk to them because they're just working on their computer and your whole theme has been, I think I'm just going to walk the walk, not really talk the talk. And you've been thinking about inviting them to come with you to Easter to hear about the amazing truth that Jesus is alive. But so far, you've just kept your mouth shut because you don't want to be seen as one of those religious freaks. Join the freaks and cross the line. It's what it is. It's a personal responsibility. All of us have a choice to make. My friends, the line has been drawn. It starts at the cross and goes all the way through eternity. Will you or won't you? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? God, I pray this morning for every person here who's a veteran and has been around Easter so long. God, I pray that you'd make it new this year. God, I pray that instead of just observing Easter, I pray that we would experience Easter. God, I pray that, that we would see the scarlet line of Jesus running right down the middle of our soul and that everything we do and think and say, everything that comes out of us would be a declaration that we've chosen to cross the line. God, I pray for those who may be here this morning who've never crossed the line of faith. God, I pray that they would see Isaiah 53 as a, as a declaration of how much you love them. God, I pray that they would begin to truly consider what it means to fully submit themselves to you today. God, I pray that they would pray a simple prayer in faith believing and cross the line of faith. God, I pray that each one of us here today would have that red line and red cross burned in our minds and that we would make the decision in everything we do or say this week to cross your line. We humbly thank you for stepping across the line first. We give you praise and glory in this place knowing that because of you and your love for us, we have a second chance at life. So God, would you walk with us this Easter? May we be forever changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.